I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And we're live. Okay. Hello. Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Kirsten. I'm Michelle. And today I'm going to be telling you a story that I found on Reddit. It is by the author Toucan the Rapper. Yo. I don't know if it's, it's spelled T-W-O. I don't know if it's meant like two, like one, two, or like toucan, you know, like the bird. Yeah. Um, but I found it on the subreddit No Sleep, which I think is a pretty popular subreddit. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's called My Life as an Art Exhibit. And it's a pretty, pretty messed up one, so. Let's get it. All right. He calls me his masterpiece from Man the Machine. That's what the plaque says. I can't see it, but he's told me that's my title. All I can see is the screen and the onlookers on the other side of the glass. Looking at both is still disorienting. I'm not used to my eyes being so far apart and don't reckon I ever will be. Also, I miss blinking a lot. His name is Tobias Keensley. There are two things you need to know about him. One, he's an artist. Two, he's completely fucking insane. You'd recognize him if you saw him straight away. That mirror-surfaced glass eye is hard to miss. Chances are you won't see him, though. Not unless you're down on your luck. If you have already heard of him and are alive to read this, then fuck you. Why? Because it means you're one of the oily leeches on the other side of the glass. One of the ones gawping at me. The one rich and wealthy enough to know about Tobias. In his gallery of anatomical defiance. I've recognized dozens of them. So many of the faces I saw in the papers and on TV have seen me too. I doubt they think of me as a me anymore, though. If they ever did see us as dregs, stricters, and junkies as people, that is. Hell, Tobias's gallery is probably the only time folk like that acknowledge folk like me exist at all. That's how I met him, you see. I needed money for a fix. The ad in the paper was simple enough. Artists looking for models with unusual histories, cash in hand, address below. Did I question the danger of that vagueness? No. My junk-focused mind only noticed those three little words, cash in hand. It took me nearly an hour walking deep into the sprawling industrial district to find the place. By this point in my attic journey, I was used to walking until my feet bled to get a fix. I was already Im imagining the prick of a needle and rush of euphoria when my shaking finger pressed on the buzzer of the large, derelict warehouse. Normal people, people that don't wake up in gutters, would have been suspicious of the near-abandoned industrial state. Folk like yourself would probably have turned around and looked for safer ways to make some scratch. I'm not, I wasn't, folk like yourself, though. At the time, this ominous cube of brick and mortar, with its boarded windows and distance from 
the safety of civilization, was no different from any building I woke up in. The voice that answered the intercom also would have made you flee, I bet. Not me, though. I'd spent too many decades destroying my mind to pick up the obvious sinister honey-trap tones and that high-pitched crooning. Yes? It was Tobias that answered. Not that I knew it then. At the time, all I registered was that it was a German voice. Male, but cracking and splitting in pitch at odd points. Can I help you? Advert, model, I managed. My throat hurt, and I realized it had been almost two days since I'd spoken to anyone with more than a grunt. If I had legs, I'd kick myself for taking my vocal cords for granted. Tobias either didn't notice or didn't care about my near-broken speech patterns. His response was ecstatic. Ah, wonderful. I'll buzz you in. Please head straight up the stairs. There was only one other door leading from the stairwell on the other side, and this was at the top of five flights of stairs. I was wheezing by the time I reached the top, out of breath. I could walk for miles on the promise of a fix, but stairs were a different story. I almost fell through the door at the top. I had to bend over for a few moments, wheezing and breathing in deep gulps of, gust of dusty air to catch my breath. That's what made it so easy for him to crack the baseball bat over the back of my head. I was more than used to coming around in strange places without remembering how I'd got there. I was also used to the numbness in my extremities, one of the first things I registered on waking aside from the throbbing pain behind my eyes. It wasn't until my wits swam into focus enough to register the mirror-eyed man standing a few feet in front of me that I started to worry. Ah, he crooned. Good, you're finally awake. I was worried that I'd overdone it. That would have been very disappointing. I started to gather more of my cognition. I realized I'd gone with a while without a fix, because my heart was pounding somewhere that felt too far away. My eyes stung, and I knew that if I could feel my arms and legs, they'd be sweat-covered and jittery. How, how long, what? My voice coming through weak, feeble, and distant. Tobias tutted, waggling a finger. Now, please don't try speaking just yet. You need to be calm, calm and collected. Everything will make sense once I've given you the tour. He clapped his hands, rubbing them together and beaming. Tour? What? Shh, you must save your strength. We have not one moment to waste. He strode out of view, and with a growing alarm, I realized that I couldn't turn my head to follow. I couldn't even move my eyes. I stared straight ahead, unable to do anything else, eyes itching as the room that had been around the mob-suited, one-eyed man swam into focus. It wasn't the room at the top of the stairs. That had been dark, dusty, lit only by what daylight managed to fight through a row of windows along the top of one wall. The room I was in when I came to had no windows and was better lit, but not much. The slight increase in light came from two naked bulbs hanging on frayed wires, flickering things that cast a pathetic yellow gleam across the tiled walls and floor. There was also less dust in the air, but the smell of anesthetic and coal fumes that replaced it was far more welcome. I'm assuming it was still in the warehouse, that I'm still in the warehouse, but I have no way to prove this. It looked less abandoned, less forgotten than the warehouse, although, again, not much. But this offered no comfort. It's hard to find any comfort in anything when you wake up in a filthy, blood-spattered surgical theater.
especially one with a forge, anvil, welder, and smelting equipment clearly visible in one corner. Especially, especially, when in the opposite corner, there's a large canvas and steel frame laundry bin filled with bulges that leaked a dark red through the fabric. Especially, 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 when you recognize one of the feet poking out of the top of said corp-filled bag. The hammering of my ventricles intensified, made worse by the fact that my panicking body could not find lugs, lungs with which to take frantic shallow breaths. I couldn't feel my chest at all. To my increasing terror, I still couldn't feel much of anything, and what I could feel felt wrong, twisted, out of place. My feet were absent, but my tingling fingers weren't where I remembered them ever being. My twisted gut rumbled from somewhere behind my face, which itself was totally numb, save for the acute pricking of my dry eyes. I still couldn't blink, either. Look anywhere but directly ahead. When I screamed, the sound echoed from elsewhere, away from the spot my frightened mind was used to hearing that howl from. And the ears I heard with, tinny ringing and again totally absent from my perception of physical sensation. I would have tried to struggle, but I couldn't find any muscles to struggle with. All I could do was scream. Stop that. The mirror-eyed Tobias was in my field of view once more. This time, his expression was furious, his Germanic crooning laced with razor wire. Stop that caterwauling immediately. I don't want to have to silence you. It'll ruin the effect. I stopped screaming, but not entirely because of his threat. It was because of the reflection that I caught in his mirror-chrome left eye. What I saw rendered me too confused, too horrified to do anything, even scream. I suspect that if Tobias hadn't taken chemical measures to prevent it, I would have lost consciousness once more. It was only a glimpse, and a distorted, confused one at that, but it was enough for me to instantly understand the severity and futility of my situation. I should have seen my face looking back at me in the reflection of that eye. I didn't. Where's my... where's my... I heard my voice drifting from way off, despite feeling nothing from any mouth, jaw, teeth, or throat. All in good time, my little prize. Tobias sounded jovial as he fiddled and clinked with something behind me. My vision juddered, and then, without warning, I swiveled 180 degrees. At the time, I figured Tobias had strapped me into some kind of wheelchair. Again, there was panic-inducing cognitive dissonance. This time, at the absence of inertia or jolting sensation, as he pushed me through the thick double doors. The hallway beyond was pitch black. I only knew it was a hallway because of the brief glimpse I got from the long red carpet trailing off to the shadows before the doors slammed behind us. My eyes registered nothing in this new place. My ears were a different story. From wherever they were, they picked up tinny whimpers, muffled metallic sobs, and faint organic grinding coming from deep in the darkness. My gut, one of only two organs I could still feel, twisted itself in an even tighter knot. My heart threatened to bruise itself from how hard it was hammering against my, I naively thought at the time, ribs. Both of these sensations intensified from the feeling of the wind against my naked eyes, the realization that Tobias was wheeling me towards those haunting grunts, moans, and wet crunches. I didn't realize we'd stopped moving until my ears picked up 
The click of a light switch and my eyes were flooded with white light from a strip bulb hanging in a small alcove along one wall. Tobias had placed me in front of this alcove directly facing it so that my immobile eyes could take it in the collection of framed paintings it contained. These, my little prize, are the Bramfield paintings. These were my muse, my catalyst, my spark that started me on my journey toward here, toward now, toward you. If I weren't already terrified of the consequences of crossing that sickly crooning from behind me, I would have screamed again. Compared to what I was about to witness, these paintings were, well, tame. Had they been the last stop on Tobias's gallery tour, I'd have been numb to them, as numb to them as I was most of my worryingly still unresponsive body. I didn't fully realize what was happening yet, though, and without the wider context, those paintings alone were already enough to send the two organs I could still feel into convulsions. They were, without a doubt, painted by someone who had seen hell. Nobody could paint things that detailed, that monstrously, hideously intricate, unless they'd seen them firsthand. Beautiful, aren't they? The venomous crooning said, sighing. When I first saw them as a child, I knew that Bramfield, he, he had something, something different, something none of these other pretenders with their outsider art could ever capture, something raw, something real. I was naively grateful that Tobias didn't have me linger in front of the paintings for long. He was far too eager to show me his own work to let me study the paintings of his self-appointed teacher, his horrific muse, for more than a few minutes. It was still too long, though. Obscenity took on new meaning for me when I saw those paintings. Despite never being religious, the only word I have for those oil colors is blasphemy. Blasphemy not against any god, but against life itself. There was a vast landscape of a gigantic baby's head. It had no body, unless you can call a fleshy, glistening maggot's tail a body, but it did have limbs. Eight of them, in fact, brittle, raking arms that sprouted from asymmetrical, pustule-coated lumps behind either ear. Its eyes were cold beyond reason. A deadness in them returned my gaze in a way no brush should have been able to capture. Another was a smaller portrait of a man with mouth, mouths for eyes. Something about his moist, glistening skin, his pallid, flame-coated lips, his hideous, wide grin triggered a deep fear in me, far worse than his mismatched facial anatomy, though. This one disturbs me in retrospect, mostly because of how much it directly inspires the first of Tobias's own pieces. On my first, and thankfully only, Viewing, it disturbed me mostly because of the laughter I had to convince myself I couldn't hear when I focused on it. Finally, there was that damn throne. It's the only thing in all of Bramfield's work that disturbs me as much as the art of Tobias it inspired. Well, almost. It was the smallest of all the framed canvases, yet held my attention the longest. It was a throne of corpses, thousands of them. All photorealistic, the twisted screams of pain and agony on each face reminiscent of any captured image of a mass grave after a human atrocity. 
Every single one told a story of agony, of suffering beyond all comprehension or reason. At the top of the corpse pyre, sitting at the peak of the pile of naked bodies, almost too high above for the artist to render, was a figure in a cold and a cloud of dark mist. I've never been more thankful of anything than I am for the fact the painter, this Bramfield, was close enough to make out any details of their form. I am writing to you at a time when I've seen more nightmares than any person should have in an even marginally fair world. Despite everything I have seen since, the memory of that figure on its throne of wailing death still terrifies me. As I said, though, Tobias didn't give me much time to wallow in Bramfield's oil-on-canvas terror. He had terrors of his own to share, and his enthusiasm to do so was palpable. Brilliant, aren't they? Unrivaled, some may say. B, though? No. Rivaled, in my book. Very much rivaled. Beaten. By me, of course, as you'll soon see, my little prize. There was another click, and we were once more in inky, sightless dark. Once more, a stinging breeze whistled on my naked eyes, and once more, too, to, did the grunts, snarls, thunks, and wails grow louder. My gut had never been tighter. The dull, groggy fog of recent unconsciousness had fully died now. I could feel my wrists, palms, fingers, but nothing of the rest of my arms. My legs, face, and almost the entirety of the rest of me was still gone, still so numb that I couldn't feel pins and needles. I wanted to cry, to break down into terrified sobs, to call for my mom, but no tears came. When the light clicked again, and the first of the alcoves containing Tobias's own work revealed itself, I couldn't help but scream. Threats be damned. The sight of those three tortured, twisted souls was too much for me to stay silent. Please, my precious prize, I don't want to have to ask a third time. Stay silent. Your screams are ruining the mood, the majesty. This is the dry run for you, for my, for our adoring public. This word, silent, was accompanied by a metallic clang that rattled my vision. The far too distant wails tempered off into near muteness. Inside my mind, the screaming was loud though, relentless. How I had the comprehension to follow Tobias's spiel, I still didn't know. Good, thank you. Now, as I was saying, yes, Bramfield. Well, Bramfield was limited in his vision. Paint. Ha! Huh, so quaint. Too quaint. Too pedestrian. True art needs to have layers, dimensions. I could barely hear him. My vision swam, my gut desperately trying to find a diaphragm to throw itself against so I could puke. In this alcove was a sculpture, a sculpture that had moved and moaned and whimpered. Yes, you see, I chose sculpture as my calling, my outlet. Capturing brilliance, capturing genius, requires depth, mass, motion. How could I choose any medium other than flesh and steel? Hmm? Exactly, one could not. In front of us, suspended from the alcove walls by thick chains, was a rusted circular metal platform about twice the width of a drain cover. From its underside sprouted a thick cone of cogs, gears, valves, and pistons. They hummed and spat and whirred and hissed, shaking the heavy corroded disc so much that the rattling of chains could be heard even over the din of machinery. 
So, too, could the drooling moans of the three poor souls fused to the other side. How they were still living, I could not fathom. I still can't. As is the case for every single one of Tobias's waking nightmares. I have never wanted anything as much as I wanted to shut my eyes in that moment. If you'd have given me a choice between continuing to look or shooting myself, my finger would have been squeezing the trigger before you finished your sentence. The pride and crooning behind me made me somehow even sicker. As you can see, I experimented with homage in my early work with tribute with imitation. Pathetic, in other words. This piece here, an ode to Zerosachil is the only one of my pieces worth the power of keeping it alive, and even th then, only barely. Very gauche, a tad melodramatic. Is that the word? Ah, well. What is the past but a slideshow of embarrassment? It was obvious what the mirror-eyed manic had been referring to when referencing imitation. These poor once people had been arranged to as best resemble the mouth-eyed man in Bramfield's paintings as Tobias possibly could. None of them had any tissue remaining below the chest, although only the central figure retained their entire set of ribs. This poor creature was the most intact of the three, and the only one connected to the rusty disc which, to my horror, I quickly, quickly realized from the scars and burn tissue it had been welded to. The armless torso was writhing on the brown-orange surface, pulling at the various hooks and bolts, melted into its flesh, and hold it in place. I was again acutely aware of the numbness in my own arms at the sight of the gnarled, scarred stumps at the creature's shoulders. Sad and twisted and nightmarish as these observations were, the heads of the three unfortunate souls left little room in my shattering psyche for much else. I had to remove a lot of cranial matter to get the facial position right. I don't know if they're conscious anymore. Not really. Probably better for them that way, though, right? <laughs> the oddly pitched laugh would have sent a shiver down my spine if I could feel the damn thing. Again, it was horrifically obvious what he meant. He'd removed the eyes, brow, and nose of each of his trio of victims. More or less, the entire upper halves of their heads were gone. Jagged trails of scar tissue ran along the seams where he had attached them to each other, fusing the remaining two once-people to the armless torso. He'd positioned them back to back so that their jaws jutted out like thick horns as the amalgamated aberrations new brow... Upside-down mouths twitching and drooled where the eyes of the disc torso should have been, their throats bulging in unsurvivable angles on either side of its neck. The three slavering half-skulls met at the center of the sculpture's perverse face. Where they connected sat a sack of membranous skin stuffed to the point of translucency, revealing a mess of pulsing gray brain matter within. The two peripheral figures were somehow even less intact than the pillar torso. Aside from their twisted necks and halved faces, all that remained of them were internal organs hanging in sagging, goiter-like bulges the size of basketballs. 
These trembling lumps protruded tumor-like from underneath each of the central figure's armpits, and it was possible to tell where the raw flesh of one body ended and the next began. The quivering organ buboes were further connected to the central torso by exposed veins, arteries, and gastrointestinal tubes, merging every biological system of the heaving bodies into a single organic mass. Keeping them alive was tricky, my little prize. This is actually the third iteration of the piece, but here it is, still breathing all these decades later. Marvelous, no? I'm particularly proud of the mechanisms here, even if they are somewhat crude by my standard, my current standards. That cone is full of prototypes for gizmos and doodads I still use today. Still, you'll find that out shortly, won't you? Onwards. The seconds between his final word and the click of the alcove lights vanishing felt far too long. I had far too much time watching that misshapen, mangled thing that had once been three writhing and thrashing on its humming base plate. I could still see it when the darkness washed once more over us. I felt the tiniest flutter of relief when it became clear Tobias didn't intend to show me his entire gallery. We walked through the dark for at least fifteen minutes the ebb and sway of the stinging wind on the flesh of my eyes informing me when we turned corners in the sightless labyrinth. Tobias was chattering along the entire time, but I'll be damned if I could remember what he said now. I wasn't paying much attention. My thoughts were wrapped in the plummeting realization that I was, well, I was well and truly fucked. It's no secret that I had made the best decision in, in life. Truth is, I was probably only a few years from dead. Some part of me, though, some small part, had always believed I'd sober up and turn my life around at the eleventh hour. How long I'd been unconscious for after Tobias hit me with the bat, I still didn't know. But it was long enough that my last fix was well and truly flushed out for my system. I was soberer than I'd been in years. Even the irony that I'd found, lucidity, and the moment shit, turned far too late was starting to tear me apart. My inner lamenting was interrupted here and there by dread-soaked stoking noises from the unseen alcoves we passed. Some were barely audible grunts and slavering similar to those made by the tri-mouthed living bust. The deeper into the darkness Tobias took me, the more grotesquely human the sounds made. Grunts became whimpers, slavering evolved into sobs. Once or twice I could hear a rasping, help, or please, please kill me. Tobias chattered and crooned over the growing racket. I lost count of the number of distinct voices, for lack of a better term. By the time there was another click and my naked eyes once more found light, we must have passed dozens of alcoves at least. I doubt I'd be sane enough to write this if he had insisted on showing them all to me. Ah, oh, my little prize. I was particularly excited about showing you this one. It's called, What Thoughts Bloom on Yonder Breeze. I know what you're thinking. I was going through a pretentious, yes, pretentious phase when it came to titles. The work, though, it's one of my best, my little prize. Almost as good as... Well, you shall see. 
I still can't fathom how a mind as sadistic and twisted as Tobias Kingsley's defines good when it comes to his art. It took my eyes a little while to adjust to the sudden flash of light, but as my vision de-blurred, I could feel a fresh wave of terror building in my misplaced gut. Once more, my heart smashed into its surroundings, and though I could feel my hands, I couldn't move them to clutch my chest and steady it. I now know why, of course, but back then, the reminder of my paralysis only served to intensify the renewed panic born from the sight of Tobias's second exhibited work. There was nothing suspended from the brickwork wall of the alcove this time. This second piece stood freely on the grimy, cracked tiles. The inorganic components consisted of two television-sized cast-iron drums welded together at an acute angle. From the thin wedge between them rose two thick steel poles. These had been bent and twisted in a spiral, and they almost resembled an abstract tornado or whirlpool that nearly reached the lofty ceiling. The boxes at the cable spiral's base hummed in a, familiar, in a similar fashion to the cone hanging from the base of the last sculpture. This vibration ran along the twisted rods, sending cracking blue sparks across the surface of the thing wedged tight between them. This was the part that had my stomach looking for my, a diaphragm again, the flesh component of Tobias's chosen medium. I'm guessing that it must have been a person once, though how long ago I couldn't say. Uh, at first I only knew it was human in origin because of the tufts of gray hair and occasional teeth, finger, and toenail clusters dotted sporadically across its undulating surface. I was going through a radical experiment phase here, my little prize, experimenting with diseases, pathogens, cancers. This one was a fray into unchecked growth, into cellular chaos, a mirror of inhumane humanity we've allowed our society's reflection to become. As I said, pretentious, the form, though my prize, the form, is my master crafted gift to you to me, to us. Feast your eyes on it and weep as I do. Tobias was indeed weeping. I could hear it in his words. I would have been too, although for entirely different reasons. The form Tobias was so proud of, his gift, was a potato-shaped lump of flesh about ten feet long. It was suspended in the air somehow, rotating slowly as it floated between the steel spirals riding the crackling, faint blue bolts of lightning that jumped from their humming surface. As the thrashing lump turned in place, a few gnarled facial features came into view on its surface. A bloodshot eye near its base, a swollen mouth at its middle, cauliflower ear, and a second eye closer to its top. The only thing that stopped me screaming when that bloodshot gaze locked on mine was the morbid curiosity driving me to hear Tobias's explanation, his excuse for the abomination before me. This one, my little prize, is still conscious. It was at this moment the twisted, swollen mouth on the thing's surface wrenched itself open and screeched at us. Flecks of phlegm burst from between cracked brown teeth. Never before had I heard so much rage, so much anger, so much hatred poured into any sound made by any human mouth. It was like no roar I could ever imagine a human capable of making. 
it was human, though. Of that I was certain, no matter how much I wish it wasn't. I had no bones I could feel, but if I did, the obvious still humanness of that otherwise unworldly shrieking would have chilled me to them. Tobias allowed the mouth on the behemoth tumor to carry on shrieking and screaming its unchecked hatred at me until the gnarled features orbited once more from view. I could hear him tittering to himself as it roared, laughed at the white-hot rage in those bulging bloodshot eyes. I could do nothing but will under the force of that fury. It was clear the fact I wasn't in any way responsible didn't matter that no, didn't make sense. It was clear the fact I wasn't in any way responsible didn't matter one bit to the person that was now this disgusting, heaving mass. The consciousness behind those misshapen eyes was far into the realms of suffering. It could feel nothing but hatred for anyone that didn't share its pain. You see, my little prize, it was this piece, the reaction of the model here, that made me realize what my clay emotionally became was far more important than what it physically became. This lump here, the cancerous nothing, has created beauty from the most base, the most ugly, the most disgustingly passionate depths of the human spectrum. It was upon seeing this recently and finishing the last piece, I want to show you that well, you'll see. I'm so excited, my little prize. I honestly can't wait. We reached the final alcove of our tour after another half hour walking in total blackness. Tobias must have had the maze engraved in his memory. Either that or his mirror eye could see in the dark. Because not once did he get lost or bump into in a hidden wall. The sounds from the unlit alcoves reached farther and farther into my nightmares for inspiration. The whimpers and moans grew to eerie levels of quiet. Soon they became less pained, more subdued. Sobs soon became unintelligible, gibbering, insane ramblings, and twisted mutters arose from the dark spaces where whimpers of fear once came. If I could feel my spine, it would have tingled. My absent toes would have curled. I had to convince myself I could hear a machine gun paste, tink, 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 of flesh against glass, glass that perfectly aligned with my heartbeat. I think I'd have stared, started pleading with Tobias if I hadn't spent the prior few years high off my ass. I started pleading with myself instead, begging myself to let this be some kind of trip some withdrawal-induced fever dream. Part of me thought I'd died, that I'd OD'd and this place was hell. Fuck, maybe it is. I can't think of any other place you'd see the kind of fucking thing that was in front of me when the final set of alcove lights went up. It had once been at least six people, judging by the number of mouths. I didn't have time to count the eyes, though, and there could very well have been more than a dozen. It was impossible to count the rest of the pieces, but there was definitely more than enough on display to account for six people, at least six. This alcove was larger than the others, wide enough to account for about three of the previous ones and then some. 
The entire space was taken up by a vast canvas, stretched taut end to end. I could tell straight away what it was made of. There was still blood pumping through the veins in it, obvious scarring marks identical to those on the merged faces of Tobias's first sculpture. The six mouths were arranged at the center of the room-sized skin canvas, scar fused into it. The galaxy of eyes spiraled from them, and the sea of blinking gazes was itself surrounded by a fractal ring of twitching ears. Marvelous, isn't it, my little prize? This one I call From the Machine Man. Keeping this piece breathing, why, well, I'm a miracle worker. A true miracle worker. Look at those lungs, though, my little prize. Look at those hearts still beat, beat, beating. They're one now, all those minds, one in body and soul. That was the message of this piece, that we are all separated only by the physical constraints of our shells. I stared, what else could I do, as Tobias rambled on about his masterwork. I was beyond processing any of what he was saying by this point, really. I wasn't afraid, terrified, horrified, panicking. None of the synonyms I have for fear couple the levels that it felt at that moment. If they could move, my eyes would have rolled back in their sockets. The tink, 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 tink that ran in time with my thrashing heartbeat was too loud to ignore now, as was once more the acute awareness that I still couldn't find lungs to draw labored breaths from. The vast canvas was moving. It was pulsing, stretching, heaving, as the galaxy of exposed organs spasmed and squeezed. Every part of the people Tobias had used was on display. Hearts, livers, lungs, intestines, brains, bladders. Nothing save for bone and muscle had gone to waste. Every exposed organ was fused to the skin canvas. And with each beat of the strategically placed hearts, I could see dark fluids rushing in and out of each of them. They were all, beyond any sense of reason or sanity, still alive. It was when the nexus of eyes stopped rolling, chameleon-like to fixate on me, that my screams started. When the six mouths on the canvas opened and spoke in unison, with a chorus of male and female voices, Tobias had to finally make good on his threats to silence me. What is this? The tapestry groaned, every one of its dozen eyes honed on my immobile ones. What has he brought us? What has he made? What is, oh, oh. What the mouths on the canvas did next, the sound of the mouths made when its eyes had finally taken in my entire form, still haunts me. They started laughing, a horrid laugh, a cricket tittering, a harsh disjointed goff that almost drowned out my now unrestrained howls of pure panic. I didn't have long to scream, though. As I said, Tobias made good on his earlier threats. There was a metallic scraping accompanying by the briefest screech of speaker feedback, like an ox jack being pulled from a cheap guitar amp. The second it hit my hearing, the sounds of my screams left. All I could hear now was the cackles of the living canvas and the all-too-clear tink, 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 tink of vascular muscles on glass. You forced my hand, my little prize, 
Tobias had to yell to be heard over the hysterics of the flesh wall. So I'm sorry, but no voice for you. Not that it matters much. We're near the end, our destination, the finale, home. I'm so, well, gosh, I'm so excited, my little prize, so excited. We weren't gliding through the dark for long on its final journey. We'd also run out of unseen alcoves, although the near silence was hardly a comfort. Tobias wasn't jabbering to himself anymore either. The only sounds I could hear from his direction were his echoing footsteps and breaths. The latter were coming through fast, ragged. His anticipation was palpable. It radiated from him, a razor wire eagerness only found elsewhere in nature. It radiated from him, a razor wire eagerness only found elsewhere in nature riding the lungs of half-starved predators before a kill. I couldn't feel my breaths. I couldn't feel anything at all except the stinging of my eyes, the nodding of my gut, and the tink, 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 tink of my heart against what I prayed were my ribs. Inside my mind, I rolled and roiled in the blind terror that rose the moment Tobias, for lack of better word, disconnected my voice. The acute awareness of every missing sensation magnified a thousandfold in that moment. An uncountable number of worst-case scenarios flashed past my mind's eye, each more hellish and resolve-breaking than the last. When Tobias clicked on its final light switch, it took me less than half a second to realize that, hellish as they'd been, none of my predictions were as bad as the reality that awaited me. So with my last piece, from the machine man, I was experimenting with unity, my little prize. Yes, the form is impressive, but the mind, the one from many, is the real piece. A super sentience, a hyper-resilient collective consciousness that can peer into the void of cognitive infinity without breaking. Without warning, he launched himself back into my field of view, grin st stretching ear to ear, white bulb reflection and childlike glee sparkling in both his organic and metallic eyes and you my little prize are to be its antesis its polar ne negative my response to my own creation with them i expect con with them i expressed concepts of unity and togetherness with you i shall explore the uttermost depths of isolation his face was inches from my naked pupils. Once more, I found what parts of me that were balking at the lack of a visible face in the reflection on his mirrored eye. Welcome, my little prize. No, my little masterpiece. To the beginning of your contribution to history. He stepped aside to reveal the alcove that would be my tomb, and for the first time, the full horror of my fate dawned on me. The alcove was a large glass case. Inside it was an elaborate network of devices and machinery that included a keyboard, screen, and computer tower. They weren't what made me wish I still had lungs to scream. What did that was the hands positioned on wires at the keyboard ready to type. I didn't want to believe it. But there they were, connected by wires painfully screwed and mashed into still-exposed bones. 
I tried to flex my still-tingling fingers, urging the digits in the case to remain still. They didn't. My hands were behind the glass, hooked up to a janky iron box with a radio antenna sticking out the top. I watched them flex and wiggle at my command. I could feel the keyboard beneath my fingers. My gut was once more trying to find a diaphragm, not just because of the hands either. The bra brain floating in the small steel bar spiral was equally responsible. Yes, you see that? That's you, where you actually are now. Tobias opened the case and poked the floating brain with his little finger. In an instant, every shred of my awareness became white-hot pain. I was blind, deaf, totally unable to register any physical sensation except agony. The moment Tobias removed the digit, the burning ceased. He cocked an eyebrow. His point proved. Wireless signal transmission, my little modular masterpiece. Observe. And this is when the last of my remaining sanity broke. Tobias reached down and picked up one of my eyes. My vision split. The view from my left still fixed on my twitching hands in the case. From my right, everything became a blur. Observe, my little masterpiece. Observe. From man, the machine. Tobias hadn't been pushing a wheelchair. He had been pushing a wheeled surgical trolley. The kind used to transport tools. On it was, were the last remaining parts of, of me. Each was connected to a small black box, exactly like the one wired to my hands. Bent radio antenna and all. My heart was tink, 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 tinking, and the glass jar hung from a rusted metal plate where a lid should be. I could see my stomach and intestines in a smaller, albeit slightly larger, vessel. It was the eyes that were the worst part, though. The last thing I remember before I finally won the war for unconsciousness was Tobias holding them to face each other. They were each stretched across a brass ring no wider than a tennis ball. They, too, were connected to small cast-iron boxes with bent antennas to beam signals to and from my floating brain. Thin hooks had been fed through the raw flesh of my eyeballs. The orbs stretched so much to fit the rig that my pupils were flat, distorted, goat-like. If I had a mouth, I would have never stopped screaming. Sadly, Tobias had ensured that I'd never scream again. The last thing he did before switching off the alcove light and leaving me in my tomb was to arrange the small black boxes and jars I'd become. One eye forever faces the screen. It is this, he told me. That's the real art, with nothing to do but type. My remotely operated hands have been letting out a crescendo of, well, exactly the kind of mad ramblings you'd expect someone in my position to write. My words are projected on the alcove wall behind my case, and the many visitors to Tobias's gallery do so love to titter and chuckle at them. My other eye is facing them, you see. Tobias wants me to see how the patrons react to my descent into madness. That was five years ago. Five years I have been here, unable to do anything except type jabbering fluency in the hopes that one of the rich, powerful, and publicly known patrons has a pang of guilt and shuts off the machines, somehow keeping me alive. I'd given up hope, 
that is, until the power surge. It happened this morning, small, almost too small to notice, but enough to cause the agging desktop power, in my case, to restart. For the first time in five years, I wasn't staring at an, at an infinitely scrolling blank page. I was looking at a desktop display, a desktop display with an internet browser icon clearly in reach. I'm not trying to reach all of you. Most of you, I imagine, are upstanding folk who wouldn't have vague cash-in-hand modeling work. Most of you are desperate enough to need to venture into abandoned industrial estates to do whatever is necessary for a scrap of cash. Those of you that are, though, please heed my warning. If you see an ad like the one I answered, don't follow it up. Do literally anything else. I don't care how hungry you are, how bad you want that fix, or how angry the landlord is getting. Nothing is worth this. I have to wrap this up. I can hear Tobias coming back from the tiny mics in my eye boxes. Please, please, please don't answer this ad. Five years is a long time. He's made many more creations in that time and never seems to have a shortage of models to work with. Don't let yourself become the next one. And that's the end. That was really good. That was kind of messed up. Definitely. It was cool, though. Yep. I could almost see it in my head. Yeah. But I'm not that fucked up. There was lots of, there was lots of detail. Mm-hmm. That definitely made it, like, yeah. easier to, mm-hmm. to imagine. It's crazy what somebody could do when they're in need of money do anything you never know what sure. you're gonna get yourself into so don't yeah. answer the ad guys don't answer the ad <laughs> no matter how bad you want that money it ain't worth it because you ain't getting any money you ain't getting any money you're gonna be disassembled that's kind of creepy or assembled with someone else disassembled and reassembled mm-hmm. yeah that's that's but yeah that's it for that's it for this week Story time, anyways. Yep. Keep an eye out for the true crime episode. Yep. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.